Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about an article that is about fleeing religion. We talked about it for a couple hours this morning on the the morning broadcast, and we're going to look at that briefly, and then we're going to uh, go into some of the things that we never got into in the uh, shows this morning about strangers and how how religion really works. But uh, anyway, uh, we also have a guest with us uh, who happens to be my son who's uh, started a family of his own and uh, is visiting today, helping out uh, with sheep and other things on the weekend. But uh, he may have some interesting insights into this idea of fleeing religion, which is uh, the reason we brought up that topic is that... uh, there there was an article written a while ago by and, and appeared in the Huffington Post and you can still read it online and uh it was talking about teens fleeing religion uh in uh according to a massive study uh ex, exposes religion's decline so you've got words like massive it's a massive study it's not a massive leaving religion and exposes religion's decline is not really a decline in religion, but a decline in interest in what is posing as religion. And as we said this morning in talking about uh, this, the problem was is that the person writing for the Huffington Post doesn't know the definition of religion. Religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. Public religion was to do it through government, men who exercise authority one over the other. And we go into that in the article. We have a lot of live links to that. And so these people aren't really fleeing religion. They're fleeing institutions that say that they're a religious institution. They're not really a religious institution by the definition 100, 200 years ago. What they are is institutions that tell you what to think about a supreme being. If you think what they think, you get to join their religion. And uh, so that's not, uh, that's a different take than most people want to hear because most people want to hear that their religion is doing what Christ said. But it's not. And I can't do anything about that. I don't want to attack your delusion, but it's not doing anything well, I shouldn't say it's not doing anything that Christ said. It's just not doing what the early church was doing. And the early church, we have to assume, was doing what Christ said because they walked and talked regularly with Christ. They wrote the Bible. And the interesting thing is the Bible agrees with me. <laughs> but anyway, you'll have to... Uh, if you have any questions... uh there's a chat room. I'm not in the chat room, so I don't know how I get it to you. If you're a part of the network, you can call in to be get a, to be a part of the network. Network. You have to go to preparing you, uh, join a local congregation, and then we'll enter your number. And when we see your number popping up, and you have a question, you can ask it here on the show. Um, if not, then we probably won't take any questions from you here on this show. But you can. 
you can get a hold of us and we can answer your questions and uh, and, and we probably already have answered your questions so anyway uh uh, James is uh, here in the studio, and if he has anything that he wants to add, we just did a brief synopsis of two hours this morning, and uh, and then we got into some things that we'll get into in the second half of the show. So, uh, James, do you have any comments about what uh, what what you perceive from the article and from what you know of the course of the church in history? From my point of view, I just don't feel that uh, the uh, writer at the Huffington Post had a good or clear understanding of the term religion. Um, so I, I think that's where we're kind of getting hung up on is the actual definition itself and, and what the church was supposed to be doing and what the church is actually doing today. Um, so I think a lot of young people are stuck um, looking at this uh, and seeing a lot of hypocrisy in the church, and they just don't want to m- be part of it. It's not really serving the purpose that it it was meant to serve in society, and uh, and so they're. I think just as a result of that, they tend to walk away and look for something else. If the church was actually doing its job, I don't think that we'd see the the uh, departure from the church that we see today. Yeah, I, I think they find it so that it's not fulfilling to them. And because it's not fulfilling, they're looking somewhere else. And of course, the world has lots of things that it will offer you, in, uh, you know, to fulfill you, to make you feel good, to give you those endorphin rushes and the, the feel good feeling. This is, this was warned that Christ said that, you know, there'd be ministers who tickle your ears. I mean, that's in the Testaments where they talk about that being a danger. Well, the problem is the young kids aren't really excited about what they're getting in the church. At least in somewhat large numbers, there are a lot of people who do go to church. A lot of young people go to church. But here's a question. Are those young people going to church for a good feeling? Or are they going to church to seek the righteousness of God? Because that's what we're told, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you can go to church and get a good feeling, think you belong to a religion, you've got kind of a fellowship there. But if the practice of religion is how you take care of the needy of your society, how is religion today doing that? But anyway, what, what are your thoughts on that idea? Uh, from my, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's still, it, it still comes back to the fact that religion isn't, the church isn't doing what it was supposed to do. I think a lot of young people in my generation, especially, and, and younger, um, are looking for a certain amount of confirmation for their life. They're looking to feel good when they go to church. They're looking to validate their life the way it is right now. They want to know that someone loves them. And uh, I think the church may at times serve that need. But I'm not convinced that's a good thing. And I'm not convinced that that it was the sole purpose of the church. And so I'm looking at other other problems in society, huge issues in society. And I think I can trace that back to the fact that the church has not been doing its job for a very long time. Yeah, I think it's reasonable to want to have a meaning, you know, a feeling of meaningful purpose in Absolutely. your life. But it has to be real meaning. 
and not an artificially created feeling that, you know, God, you know, God loves everybody, uh, but he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitan. And we have articles up on Nicolaitan if anybody has any uh, doubts about who the Nicolaitan are. But so the question is, are the churches engaged in the deeds of the Nicolaitan? We know that churches used to take care of all the social welfare of Christians. Uh, they were persecuted because they wouldn't sign up for the free bread of Rome. And so they, and, and they wouldn't sign up for the free bread of Rome because that would be praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And Christ said it wasn't to be that way. So, but people aren't going to church to either receive the benefaction of, you know, a welfare based on faith, hope, and charity nor are they going to church to be the benefactors who don't exercise authority, you know, freely give and freely receive. They go to church to get a feeling that they seem to be missing in the world today. If they need bread, if they need help, they go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And I just find it astounding because it's right there in the text that we're not supposed to be that way. We're, we're not to call any man father on earth. And I talked this morning about the, you know, the definition of religion just a couple hundred years ago was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And that pious performance was your duty to your father. And of course we have a duty to our natural father, but we also have a duty to our father in heaven to love our neighbor, not to covet his goods, not to force him to contribute to our welfare. So the worlds today take care of the needs of the people. Uh, you know, the world governments of today, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, everybody, they all have some social welfare system, but it's based on men who exercise authority and force the contributions. I think we would be a better off in society, better off in the world, if we were still taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. So you're saying that that is actually the the realm of the church that's actually what the church should be doing well that's certainly one of the things that it should be doing because that's what religion was you know the temples were where you went to to get your free bread from rome the welfare from rome those temples when you go to get your free bread from rome would hand out you know bread cheese wine sometimes money and in in those days, that was your welfare, and that was provided by men who went out and taxed other people. <laughs> but the church was rightly dividing the bread from house to house, and they were doing this by free will offering. Same thing John the Baptist said. If you have a neighbor who doesn't have a coat, you guys are supposed to take care of him uh, by sharing what you do have. And he said, and do the same in meats, do the same in provisions. So, that, you know, that's basic foundation. And like I say, just a hundred years ago, there was no welfare. Uh, governments didn't have welfare programs. You went to church. You went to your local community. You went to your neighbors. You went right. to your relatives. But you they certainly had uh, elements a uh, hundred years ago and, and further ago where men were praying to their kings. They were praying to their, to, uh, their rulers and uh, the tyrants of that day to provide them with certain benefits. Uh, mostly protection, protection from criminals, protection from robbery, uh, protection for people who, uh, you know, uh, violate terms of contracts. That's where it really started. There really wasn't a lot of 
welfare or free bread or any of that stuff. There, you saw little elements of it. I mean, you know, a hundred years ago was 1919. Social Security didn't come along till 1933. In 1910, most of the people in America was still being educated at home or in private schools. They didn't even go to public school. And like I said this morning, public schools were funded mostly by local funds. And, you know, I gave a little bit of the history of public education. Now, all these things are provided by government, and the government doesn't provide them. They take away from somebody else so that they can provide for them. And, and worse yet, most of what they provide is the result of the government borrowing money against your future and the future of your children. They're putting, when they raise the debt ceiling, they're raising the debt ceiling on your children and your, and my grandchildren and my great grandchildren because they're not going to pay it off. And that's bondage. That debt is bondage. And, and we see the, the uh, budgets rising and the uh, debt ceiling rising to. Which is not an actual budget. If you, if, yeah. if, if, if your debt ceiling is raising, that means that you weren't actually budgeting. Yeah, you're not in the budget. You're, you're operating in a you're negative budget. budget. Yeah. Exactly. You're operating in the red. And it's only getting worse and we're, but it's getting to astronomical proportions. And it was in the days of Rome. Rome was doing the same thing and Rome fell because of that. They couldn't support the army. They couldn't support the welfare. There were riots, bread riots in Rome. But Christians, weren't dependent upon that free bread. You, you know, you see a lot of things that go go on in government. You see that benefits are declining from government. Well, there's more of a demand for them. I don't know if the benefits are declining because that would be that because many of the government benefits are dictated by law. They are they're passed in, they're ratified, and so it's you you're, you can be held liable for lawsuits if you don't give someone their government benefit. That they they say they have a right to, um, but that's just taking a bite out of their neighbor. Because absolutely, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not saying that it's it's wrong. I'm I'm just saying that if uh, I'm saying that what's declining is the ability to pay for those government benefits. Right, and and uh, well, for instance, healthcare. You know, there's or been PERS. A, yeah, PERS. That uh, we know that system is bankrupt, and people are still demanding those PERS, but they may not continue. One thing, they'll have to keep up with the rate of inflation, which may go skyrocketing because of the fact that the government is overspending and borrowing more and more money, and so therefore printing more and more money to meet the expectations of those entitlements. But there has to be a day of reckoning eventually, unless unless you actually, like you said, budget, balance the budget. But it's gotten to the point where the interest rate is so great, balancing the budget is almost an impossibility, it would seem. Well, it, it is, it's not easy. Um, and there's, there's an increase, um, every year, uh, you have increase in PERS and the cost for it. Um, and there, and really as, as a, as a government worker, as someone who's, uh, truly entrenched in the nature of the beast, uh, you're, you're stuck trying to find a way to pay for this. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that PERS are bad. I'm not saying that uh, the the benefits themselves are bad. I'm saying that uh, if you want these things to exist, you have to present a way to pay for it, and you need to show me the money. You need to show me a way to do it. And and too often um, the the uh, 
the answer is to uh, either print more money or to tax more people. In, in both cases, you're taking away from somebody else to get what you want. Which I suppose is the great argument of our day. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that is morally right. And if it's not, then what are we doing? You know, from my point of view, being a student of the Bible, and I, I know that deep down you, you think the same thing, it isn't morally right. Because thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, and wanting benefits at the expense of your neighbor is exactly that. But it is the system that we have. It's the system we've created, and this is why. And the fact is, we've only created this system in the last 100 years. It wasn't that way in 1776. It wasn't that way in 1860 and 1876 and 1890. But around 1910, 1911, 1916, 1933, And then they helped out more and more. And this was way back in the 30s. By the 60s, the government was so entrenched in helping the people, the welfare and the needy of the people, that the people didn't need the church anymore. And then the government removed the moral criteria of giving out welfare. Before they required that, you know, if you were an alcoholic, you had to stop drinking or we weren't going to give you welfare. Now, uh, if you were, if you were getting pregnant, you had to stop running around getting pregnant, uh, or you're not going to get welfare. They stopped all that and they said, you can be promiscuous, you can be a drunk, you can be a wife beater, you can be a criminal, <laughs> and we'll still send you welfare. We, we have no moral criteria whatsoever. And then they wonder why their society has become so immoral. But that's that's the far extreme. We were talking this morning, just the young people leaving the church, and then now we've brought up the subject of young people going to church for that good feeling, that feeling that they love Christ and that Christ loves them. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And one of his commandments was to love your neighbor as yourself. So how is it to love your neighbor as yourself if you want to take that bite out of him? Take take away not only from him, but from his children and his grandchildren, his children yet unborn, because you're raising this debt to get what you should be able to get from the church. Can the church repent? Can the people repent and go back to that? That's that's one of the big questions. Uh, I'm going to take a little break here because I just realized that we're having so much fun that I went right past our commercial break, and I'm supposed to put one in here every so often. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, I'll, we'll be right back to Keys to the Kingdom. Okay, we're back with Keys to the Kingdom, and my guest, uh, James Williams. And uh, this is a last-minute thing. I was just going to do this program and talk about uh, some of the things that we were talking about this morning. I had gotten into... Uh, the uh, idea of uh, where it says that we're not supposed to, uh, the stranger wasn't, the foreigner 
the sojourner was not to eat at the same table of the church. So if the church were to take over that welfare, it doesn't have to take over for everybody. It only takes for, over for those people who sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is what the, that's how the church was organized. It wasn't these mega churches where you have 5,000 people listening to a sermon and then everybody goes home and goes to the men who exercise authority to get their free bread, uh, or what, their welfare or their you know, food stamps or whatever it is that you're getting. Uh, the church was a part of their lives. It was a part of how, you know, if they had difficulty taking care of their parents or their their aged mother or they became widows, we talked about that this morning, the church was there as that social safety net. There was a social safety net with Rome. There was a social safety net with the Pharisees, but that was the Corbin of the Pharisees and that was making the word of God to none effect. Because it was no longer based on free will offerings, based on charity. So anyway, it says that the the sojourner, which is also translated foreigner, was not to eat at that table. And uh, I got into the point uh, where I was uh, bringing up the other word that is also translated foreigner. There's only two words that are translated foreigner. And it only shows up twice in the King James Bible. And the other word that they translate as foreigner was uh, completely different. It it meant a stranger. And it was also translated strange women and, or strange woman. And it it's similar, but it's actually talking about the system that the world has for taking care of one another. And it had a quote in Deuteronomy. It actually appears quite a few times. It was talking about the way you treat different people. And it wasn't to to be mean to them, but it was because you were going to have limited resources. And we talked about that. You want to help the needy of your society, but are you really, and this is the question, are you really helping the needy of your society by giving them what they want? Is there something different? Giving them what they want? Or giving them what they need. And of course, you know, in, in my uh, countryside vernacular, sometimes what they need is a good swift kick in the pants. Uh, I'm using that as a metaphor. You don't actually have to kick anybody. But they need to get motivation to get off their uh, rear end and, and get busy. You know, learn to fish. Learn to take care of themselves. And we see this in the modern welfare systems where people uh, are catered to, helped all the time. And they get lazy. Uh, you know, they, you know, they, they can't make their bed. They can't clean their house. They can't fix their own meals. They can't fix healthy meals. They don't take care of themselves with a good diet and they get sick and they die. And I actually know people who, uh, I could go through story after story, but I don't want to do that while we have a guest here. But th- my guest is actually, involved on a daily basis of dealing with some of the issues of how local governments take care of the needy, how they provide for the welfare of young people, old people, people who have health issues, health problems, uh, people that are promiscuous, people that drink too much, and they try to help them, and they run into a lot of problems. And maybe looking at their problems will help us understand how we should do it and bring Christ into that. So that's what I'll throw out to uh, James to maybe have some comments on how the world helps 
the needy of their society and are they always really helping them or are they licensing them, even enabling them to get worse, which would be not charity, would actually be cruel. So anyway, I'll I'll turn it over to him and let him make his comments on this himself. Well, you make you make really good points there. Um, yes, obviously, from my point of view, what I find is that people are their own worst enemy when it comes to um, uh, deciding what it is that they what is best for them. Because too often we fall into the uh, trap of thinking what's best for us is what we want, um, and I don't I don't believe that that's necessarily true. Um, so, what I think that we need to keep in mind. Is um, when when de- when you're in, when you're in local government, you're you're stuck and you, you find yourself in this place when people ask you to do something and they say you have a responsibility to see to the needs of the community. Okay, yes, but what does that look like? What are you asking me for? Are you because whatever you end up giving the government power to do, they have now power in your life, and they have control. People come to me, what are you doing for business? What are you doing for this? What are you doing for local business? Well, do you really want your local government to have that much control over what the free market does? You be careful. I have said this before. You be careful what genies you create because they will have a demand on you. They, they will make your sons and daughters run before their chariots. You might have a good guy at one point in time, but later on he might be a dictator. And they still have the power. Absolutely. The power is there. You, you've created a, um, you've created an office of power, and now men who seek power will seek that office, and they will abuse it. I have no other way to explain that, but myself as a millennial, um, Growing up in this newer generation, um, one of the things that we we face is the ridicule of saying, "Well, it's your fault. Um, look what your generation is doing." Yes, I I agree that my generation um, is uh, renowned for their entitlement, um, their, their their entitlement issues, but I I have looked at this, I've thought about this uh, a great deal, and, and I don't believe that it is solely a millennial issue um, when it comes to entitlement. I think this that they've learned it from previous generations, whether it's uh, Gen X or the Baby Boomers or the Silent Generation. We have created a society where benefits are at the absolute pinnacle of importance. As such, we have become slothful. As such, we believe that it is someone else's job to, to take care of our needs in society, whether it be on the Second Amendment. It's someone else's job to protect me. I don't need guns. I don't want guns. I don't like guns. But I'm going to have someone else who has a gun and a badge, preferably, come in and risk his life to save me because that's his job. He's more professionally trained. But there's, but why in the world wouldn't you take it upon yourself to protect your own family, or your neighbor's family, or your neighbor's family, I, and I, I think we've gone so far down this road. It is not a millennial issue; it is a uh, um, cultural issue. 
that is ingrained in our society, and I, I'm not sure really how to fix it, because if you give a man the power to fix something like this, he has the power to destroy it as well. Yeah, I think Thomas Jefferson said something like the 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 government that has the power to give you everything you want also has the power to take away everything you have. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so you're, you're giving power to uh, an institution that uh, can change the guard. And you can't legislate morality. That's what I think people fall into. They see something that's done in wrong in society, and many a times it's, it's for just reasons. They see something and they say, well, that's wrong. We need to stop it. So they turn to their legislators, they turn to their politicians, and they say, we want you to enact an ordinance. We want you to enact a law that forbids this from happening. And... uh and we do it. And then you discover that it, the bad people really don't care what laws you make. And they don't care about your gun control. They don't care about what, what, what rules of society you dictate because they didn't really care too much about the rules of society in the first place when they committed a crime that violated the rights or even the life of other individuals in your society. Yeah, one of the things that I see with the the rights of society and, and, and empowering government, we know the old adage, power corrupts. So the more power you give government, the more likely you are going to corrupt those people that are in government. But the, also, the people who seek power will seek those offices that you're creating, which will live on beyond. You know, people all thought Ronald Reagan was going to be the salvation of the nation at one point, but then... Then came the Bushes and the Obamas and the Clintons and, and they had all the power that Reagan had and if he cre- increased power, they had that. And it goes on and on. What we, we're always recommending and what I think John the Baptist was doing, what Jesus was doing, cause he was saying the, you know, they'd given the power to the government to take care of the needy of society and to compel the offerings of the people. And it it not only weakens society, like Polybius said, it strengthened the 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 power of government and brought in corruption, like Herod and and Nero and all these other people who began to take advantage of the people and began to take uh, liberties with the people, and the people began to have less and less liberty, less and less freedom uh, themselves, and so we had to. Uh, alter our own um, relationship with government by simply taking back our responsibilities. And so that that seems to be the key to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness was to take back the responsibility. Yeah, I see here I wasn't watching the clock quite right. I'm I'm not used to this, but anyway, we still have about 25 minutes left of the show. I actually put in those commercials early i thought i had missed it <laughs> but i'm i'm trying to watch the switchboard control the sound because <laughs> i have i'm not used to having guests on so it usually is just me in the room so i have to do a little bit more multitasking but it's good at practice maybe we can do it more often i've got other people that we can bring in here from time to time and you hear other voices if you get on the network and we know these programs are coming up you can set the agenda of these programs you can you can uh, write in to the network 
the network is all based on local areas. If you're in New York, you'd be on the the network in New York. If you're in Florida, you'd be on the network in Florida. If you want to be a part of the Living Network, then you can join a local congregation. That's where most of the good things happen. That's where most of the work happens. And all these congregations are based on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They're not based on what you see in your modern church. We don't build big buildings. Uh, we don't have a, a guy who's going to come in and give you a sermon for an hour and then make you go home and feel good. We're actually getting involved with the actual day-to-day lives of people in a way where we can actually be of assistance and help. I, I could tell you just hundreds of stories how somebody had a medical issue, a health issue, uh, you know, uh, issue with the courts, an issue with uh, their neighbors, an issue with their family. Uh, you know, we paid medical bills, uh, all sorts of things because we're actually doing or trying to do, we can't do it without you, doing what the early church did, what early Christians did during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Christianity was the ultimate survival tool for people who were also seeking righteousness and were willing to care about others as much as they care about themselves. So anyway, that's that's uh, the process of what uh, the kingdom is all about. Uh, we can go almost anywhere with this topic. I'm just going to throw it back to James and see if he's... Well, I actually have a question. Okay. So, in light of what we've just talked about, what is the answer? What is the solution? Or at least, what is the direction that we should be going from here? We've talked about um, the fact that we have a huge, massive amounts of young people that are fleeing the church, or at least fleeing religion, so to speak. Um, that it's not serving the need that they feel it should be. They might not even understand what that is. Right. But they they know it's not serving a purpose in their life. It's, it's not fulfilling. Not, it's not fulfilling, and it's uh, it, it's not serving a need in society. It, it's so they're abandoning it. And they're walking away. Um, they know that there's some validity to religion. They know that there's there's something there, but they're not sure what it is. So they just walk away. They're disgruntled, possibly even. And then we have all uh, a huge portion of society now that is looking to the government to uh, fulfill all these other needs. Um, so if these people are fleeing the church and young people are fleeing religion, and we see them pop up on the radar everywhere uh, at the voter booths and looking to the government to fulfill all their needs um is it possible that those are the same needs um that what they were fleeing the church because the church wasn't doing they're looking to the government to do instead and if that's true what is it that the church should be doing what direction should we take and what is it exactly they are looking for what is it that could be fulfilling to a young person well, uh, you know, that, that is really a good question, and uh, it's, it's maybe the $64 billion question. Uh, the, the, the church is not just a religious institution. They said there is another king on Jesus, but Jesus wasn't out there, and the apostles weren't out there writing statutes that you had to believe this, and you had to do this, and... Uh, they weren't imposing laws. As a matter of fact, they were forbidden to do that. They were not to be, this is the words right out of the mouth of Jesus, they were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles 
who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. They were not to be that way. So what were they doing? Uh, they were the, they were saying another king. They were this other form of government. It was a voluntary form of government. Had no taxes, um, and no certainly no imposed taxes whatsoever. There was tithing. There was free will offerings. There was they were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. But what takes place when you do that uh, is where that real sense of fulfillment is going to come in. That uh, there was a, a story I just heard this week. There was a young girl who would go to uh, work with her mother, who was a nurse at a convalescent home, and she just suddenly—I think she was like nine or something—when she first did this, she went in and talked to the different old people in the home, and she asked them if there was two things or three things—I can't remember—that they wanted. Uh, that she would write it down and see what she could do. It's something they needed. And they were, she was thinking that they would ask for a car, they would ask for, you know, big things or something. But they were asking for things like an orange, uh, cheese, <laughs> little tiny things. And so she got in her mind, I can get these things, I can. And so she started doing it. And now it's a really big deal. And she's much older, not much older, a little bit older, and doing it. And she's just going out and finding a need that other people feel they have, and she's trying to fulfill it. But then that will take us back to what I was asking. Are we supposed to fulfill what they want or what they need? Well, the truth is what those people needed was the feeling that somebody cared. You know, the orange wasn't what they needed as much as knowing that somebody took the time to care about them. Well, in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is the way the church was organized, the way that Christ commanded that the church organize, that's the way Moses had organized, it's the way societies were organized, all free societies were organized in that, that way. It requires that you love your neighbor as yourself, your, and, and not just the people in your congregation, but the people in the next congregation. It's a network of love, not a network of contracts. What the people are doing when they say, see, look at churches and they say, well, that's not fulfilling. It's not giving me the fellowship I want. So they go elsewhere to get it in, and the world, you know, like the story of Pinocchio is offering them all kinds of corrupt ways of feeling that you belong. So that now that, you know, they're getting tattoos and nose rings. I don't want to pick on people with tattoos and nose rings, but they're, they're getting involved with all sorts of social uh, identities that are because tr- they're looking for an identity and, and you, you, know, you have some people that are looking for the victim identity I want to belong to this victim group or that victim group <laughs> so there's all kinds of different ways but what way do we get a sense of identity and belonging and participation or fellowship that's a, the word and actually be that pure religion that productive community of people caring about one another, where you have a certain amount of intimacy. You go to these big mega churches, you sit down with a thousand people, three thousand people, you don't know anybody there. So people say, well, I want to belong to a little church. Home churches are doing that. And they're getting this feeling of belonging. But are they do, there's a multifaceted to seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, where you're actually not just getting that good camaraderie, and fellowship, 
but it's actually a productive fellowship that is actually helping, changing lives, changing the hearts of other people. And that's why I say it's really important that you, uh, when you give charity, when you help people out, that you're actually giving them what they need to get better, to strengthen them. Remember the... The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in a time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. Giving the poor everything they want is not necessarily strengthening them. Strengthening them. So you have to use a little bit of imagination when you were first asking the question, where do we go from here? Everybody's in a different place. That's right. I, I actually think that it, I've used this phrase before, is that you don't want to give people um, a handout. You want to give them a hand up. You want to get them to standing on their own two feet. You want them, you want them to become active members of society. You want them to participate in and care about what their neighbor's life is like. There, there's a point, I think, when you're when you're in public service and you're and you're working on these things, and it's your responsibility to look at um, and to see to the needs of your society and your your community. Um, and people want you to fix this problem, fix that problem. They want you to do this and do that, and, and you really find yourself in the position of just wanting to just balance your budget because there's this huge need um, for uh, resources, and all of these resources come from the taxpayer. And, and if you're the kind of person like myself who abhors spending taxpayer dollars, um, you're in a place where uh, y- your mind just you just feel like it's going to explode because there's all these people that want this and they want this service. They want you to do this and they want you to do that and you can't pay for it. And you want to just say, you actually need to do a few things in your society yourself. You actually may need to go over and check on your neighbor yourself because there is no way, even if I doubled the personnel or tripled the personnel that I'm going to be able to, um, make sure that there are enough bodies and boots on the ground to take on the full burden of seeing to the needs of society and everyone in it. Uh, and, and this is why I believe socialism doesn't work. I, I believe that it's a, it's a really bad direction to go where you give government all the power and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, the need gets grows and grows and grows, and you have less people working, and you have more people looking to the government for benefits uh, and gratuities, and um, eventually it just collapses in on itself because it doesn't breed um, people that care about their neighbor. It breeds those who believe. That it is the government's responsibility, and in a socialist form of government, I think it actually is the government's form, uh, government's responsibility. Depending on how you structure that socialist uh, government, um, is it based on free will and charity, or is it based on uh, force? And um, we just heard uh, Jordan Peterson talking about a particular kind of government, and I heard it. I can't remember the word. Oh, it was I like, can't remember what that was. It was it's like while. collateral or... No, I could, I could look it up Yeah. Quick. Anyway, but... he was talking about two groups of people, five in each group, that one was going to be compelled to do job, paid to do the job, and the other one was going to do it as volunteers. And the volunteers were going to do... It ends up that the volunteers do a much, much better job. Mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of like that example of the little girl who was going in and finding, you know, there are people who are getting paid for the care of these people, but they're not getting them that little piece of cheese that made their whole life different and made their life meaningful. I think that's where the, if young people could get involved, I, I used to think of it, one of our outreaches would be what I called the uh, visitors and that young people would go to convalescent homes. Uh, they would be, come from a congregation of people and they would be given an identity, you know, an ID from the church and they would go in and they'd probably have to learn how to do this well and just go in and talk to the old people that, cause they're often neglected in these homes. Um, you know, I, I and my wife, we met working in a convalescent home and it's always been a pet peeve of ours that people in the convalescent homes are often neglected by their family. And so, but if you go in and just find out, you know, if, if it's an old guy who likes to talk baseball, one of the young people probably knows about baseball and he could talk to him. And, you know, if it's an old lady who likes to knit, maybe one of the kids could go in and just sit with them and knit with them, talk to them. We've actually, you know, been able to unite families that were estranged because you got, so they trusted you and then they shared with you and then you could get a hold of somebody and put them back together. Uh, sometimes just before they died, which was, you know, where it brought all kinds of peace to them because of the fact that they did this. I think that young people, if they do it together, it's not a huge burden, but there's a huge reward in it. And then it can go on to other things and other parts. See, the thing as if society begins to break down, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to, you know, I always talk about the survivalist who's going to get in a foxhole with a bunch of other survivalists and, you know, they're going to, they're going to make it through the, the world breakdown. Um, uh, the economic breakdown, the, whatever it is, the geological breakdown, whatever, bringing destruction. The fact is, is all their friends, their main goal is surviving. When the beans run out, you're on the menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, what you want to do is be united with people who care about others, who are willing to make even a few minutes sacrifice, a half hour sacrifice for somebody else, even a stranger. You be united with those people and that, that direction in your life. I mean, to me, that's a, going down to that convalescent home or going to some place where people finding out who has needs in your community and doing something about it. Uh, teach, there are young people graduating from high school who can't read. That they never learned to read. They don't know anything about history. Uh, if you're a history buff, you could put on a little course and invite people and somebody else wants to cook. You can make donuts, uh, healthy donuts, whatever. And those activities is closer to going to church than going to a building and sitting there and singing. You're making music, but you're making music in the hearts of people. So when you ask about direction, that's just one idea that's popping into my head. Sure. But you do it as a group. How do you cultivate that in society to where you have the pool of people to form that group? I think that's where we're at is because that is not something that's looked at as a priority in our society or our our culture. 
And so how do you cultivate that? It's, there are some wonderful, wonderful people in, in our country and in our society today. And unfortunately though, a lot of the, the responsibilities, um, fall to those few who are actually willing to get up and go and do something. Um, that you have people that work in those convalescent homes that are amazing people that care and they want to be there every day. It's rewarding for them. It's fulfilling for them. It's a certain type of person, yes. Um, but what happens is because we haven't cultivated that into our young people as an actual responsibility to society, to our family, to our, our, our parents, our grandparents, that it isn't, we don't just pawn them off on someone else because it's their responsibility. No, we actually take care of our family. There's something to the family structure and it's important. But if we lose that, it falls to those few who are actually exceptional people um, to take care of the widows and orphans of our society. But what happens, I think, also is that they burn out. And and we see that in uh, the private industry as well, where you have a company say, and it, you have um, you know, 50 men that work for it, and, and out of that 50, percentage-wise, you probably have uh, about 10 that are exceptional people. Um, and they're uh, 5 to 10 people in that work that are absolutely exceptional, and they do uh, a huge majority of the work. And all the pressure is put on them. And all the pressure is put on them, and what happens is eventually they burn out, and then you're stuck with the guys who slogged along, well, see, and, this uh, is, and the company and, falls. And, and every church... You can go to almost every church, big or small. There are some people in those groups that are the workers, the givers. They, they, they show up, they do the cleaning, they They do the organizing. And what's happening is they're in there, and this takes me back to that word stranger. You were not to let the stranger, the foreigner, it's translated different ways, sometimes foreigner, sometimes stranger, sometimes sojourner. But it was people who did not live by faith. You were not to let them eat at this table. And what's happening is all these workers who are actually making those churches not doing the job that they should be doing, function and work, are burning themselves out in an unappreciating uh, environment. Oh, they say they're appreciated sometimes. They might even pay them sometimes. But the reality is, is they need to get that focus that Jesus Christ, I mean, Christianity was called the way before it was called the uh, Christianity. It was called the way over and over and over again in the Testament. They are going the way, the way. What way was that? It was a society that took care of all of its social welfare needs through faith, hope, and charity in a world where there was free bread to be had in almost every city and every city state. And that Christians were not partakers of the table of men who exercise authority. But Paul says, we have a table of which they cannot eat. Right. And it doesn't mean that you won't go out of your way and help somebody. You know, you find them in the ditch or something. You still will do that. But you need to come together with those people who are beginning to awaken to that which we forgot, which was what made America great, was the fact that we took care... I mean, people... Uh, Alex Tocqueville, I think his name was, uh, came here from France, because something weird was going on in America that was not going on in Europe. And he came over there and he found people voluntarily building 
uh, homes, uh, you know, uh, for the, the poor, for the, for the indigent, for the sick, hospitals. Uh, they even built prisons to help, uh, people who got put in prison learn a trade and actually improve their life. But they were doing it based on the idea of everybody, you know, helping you learn to fish, helping you getting that hand up. And it was having this tremendous, uh, America was productive like nobody could see anywhere else. And it was these private associations, voluntary people coming together, helping one another. And so we've gotten away from that. We've become totally dependent upon the government to do everything. Take care of our parents, take care of our children, take care of their kindergarten education, take care of uh, telling us what is right and what is wrong. And now we see governments coming out and telling us that it is good to abort your baby. And, you know, when they were talking about aborting babies at nine months, and then even giving birth to babies in infanticide where you, you're supposed to set them over and just let them die. You know, and I turned to somebody, I says, tomorrow it will be euthanasia, letting the old people die. And lo and behold, the very next day, they're talking about just do, doing exactly that. And even letting people starve themselves to death. And that's now a right. Where, what kind of society if things got hard and you've already legalized infanticide and euthanasia and letting people starve to death is as a mercy what kind of world are you creating what kind of environment is hard times going to create now if we turn around and think a different way which is repentance and go that other way and i'm just saying baby steps just Start coming together. That's why we created the network to help you get in contact with people in your local area and start doing some of these things uh, on as small a scale as you want. And when people see you doing it, I think more and more people will come together. Build it and they will come. But what are you building? We're not building a cathedral or a church. We're building a network of people who care as much about their neighbor as they do themselves. And uh, there's a million ways that I haven't even thought of that uh, people can do that. So anyway, we're we're running down towards the end of the show. Did you have any other comments that you want to make before we go? Uh, no, uh, just uh, I was actually going to say it's probably a good thing that we end on a better note than uh, fantasize and uh, <laughs> <Yes>. euthanasia. <laughs> yeah, the I, it's, it's a horrible place that we find ourselves in society today, where we're actually talking about these things, and the moral fabric of our society is depleted so great, so greatly that I am. It, it's hard to see a light, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But we just have to turn around Absolutely. and go the other and, way. And I think that that would probably be a good place to end it. Is talking about how we structure our society from here, where we go from here, how you take care of your own in your own community. Uh, getting back to the tens of hundreds and thousands and actually having a structure in your communities uh, that is outside of what you believe the government is required to do for you. Because one of these days, they may not be there to uh, to see to all your needs anymore. Yeah, they, Not that they're seeing to them now. Yeah, they, it might even get worse. But we have we – have, uh, we're, we're starting in South uh, Africa. We've got people in Australia. We saw a little bit of interest coming up in Canada. But you just have to get together and do it and make it happen. And so join wherever you're at. 
join the network, get involved in the living network, and then we'll, we will build it together. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. have been listening to the keys of the kingdom with brother gregory of his holy church for more information on the educational ministry provided by his holy church and brother gregory including services counseling lectures books and other audio materials please write to his church at summer lake box 10 summer lake oregon 97640 You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.